welcome to Jed Banger's Ball. Uh, you know, this isn't the newest one uh, of 2018. There isn't. There is one I recorded before this, but uh, we got a little uh, sponsorship, and so we're we're kind of working something out. Um, so that interview, uh, that's actually with Pat Thomas, uh, who's a writer. Um, that's going to interview uh, interview. That's going to air at a later date. But today uh, on the show is my old friend, Eric Johnson, not of Cliffs of Dover fame, but of the Fruit Bats and also the Shins and Ugly Casanova, among other things. Uh, and Eric and I go way back. And we uh, we played a show together recently, actually, an acoustic show, which was uh, my first acoustic show and maybe his 400th acoustic show. Uh, so he did a little bit better than I did at it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we, I wanted to have him on the show. We've been talking about it forever and we, uh, never got around to it. He's back in LA now. Um, having moved around, we lived in Seattle at some point together. He lived in Portland. He lived in Sonoma. He's from Chicago. Well, he's from Wisconsin originally, but, but we get into all that. And it's a very long interview, uh, as we share a past, and so I want to get right into it. But before I do, I just want to say um, <clears throat> in the interview, we talk about uh, our good friend, Andy Kotowitz, who passed away a number of years ago in a car accident, um, leaving his, his wife and daughter. And i just telling you that to give you some context. But uh, I, I, I think of Andy often, and if... If you're listening to this and you knew Andy, I'm sure you, I'm sure you think of him often as well. Uh, so I don't want to dwell on that too much, but, uh, we told some stories, um, and I did that thing that I normally do, which I got impatient when we were telling a story, even about our friend who passed away. And I turned the story into a story about me, but we still told some stories about Andy Kotowitz. So without further ado, as this is a long one here, let's talk to Eric Johnson. Uh, just, I like this rat story. No, you're fine. Because that's Whatever. always like the funny podcast that I hear. There's sort of like the guy walks in and he's taking his jacket off and well, that's they're, they're like, when do we when do we start? And they're like, we're going already. Well, we are doing that, and I normally do that, but uh, because uh, the dog and Jess were making tea, I, I just yeah, I wa- <laughs> this I was the one time I didn't do that. I walked into your house. I was on. I was ready. To, I was you ready had to a go. you had a like a remote mic uh, clipped onto you. Yeah, uh, with uh, uh, I iPhone voice memos on yeah, that you were going case. to then we transfer to me. Yeah, as safety, <laughs> <laughs> just in case. But I figure you have the house wired. All right, yeah, we have it wired for sound and video That's at right, all yeah, times. That's right, yeah, there's tea getting made. I mean, we can, yeah. Okay, so, um, the, well, then tell the fucking story, because then it was a good, it was a good. So Jed asked me, <laughs> no, <don't. laughs> how, how are you? And he was being earnest and just my friend off mic, and I yeah. was like, well, let me tell you. Yeah, you were ready to roll. But I actually, I bludgeoned a rat to death yesterday with a shovel. Yeah, but why? I I don't find them to be that harmless. It was badly injured in my backyard, and I was putting it out of its misery. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I don't like that. I I understand that. And I think it was possible that it was my dog that had struck the first blow. Oh, man, really? he's, he's he's been known to be a 
ratter. He's protecting the house. He was protecting the house. Um, I mean, I don't want a rat in my house, so part of me is like, that's... My whole thing with... I mean, uh, I, I know some people find it hard even... Like, I don't, I don't have a problem. I mean, I don't like doing it, but I don't have a problem killing an injured animal. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, unless it was I like a it's, cow or something. Yeah. I know. I did think about that. A friend of mine in high school strangled a raccoon. <laughs> See, that's not how I would do it, though. He was a really interesting... It, was, it, would, it would bite you. He was you. a very interesting guy. So in what it, if it bit you? Yeah, I don't know. I think on? I think it was injured enough that. <laughs> see, I would see. What about just smashing it? In a, a, he saw a raccoon get hit by a car, oh, like hit God. and run yeah. style. Yeah, he was like a few cars behind, yeah. and just his split decision moment was pull over and go. And I uh, maybe he looked for a rock to yeah. smash its skull in or something. I, it, it is the compassionate thing to do, yeah. sure. But I, I had to do this yesterday. This rat was, it was literally like the death scene from a movie. Like, he was in my front yard, like, crawling, you oh. know, like, with the front. Yeah, Private Ryan. It was, yeah, it was to- <laughs> It was like Platoon. It was like Willem Dafoe and Platoon. Private Benjamin. Or no, that's uh, Goldie Hawn. That's Goldie Hawn. I don't think there's any, <laughs> anything like that in that movie. Um, but no, it was like, it was like Willem Dafoe and Platoon, right. very Christ-like. Um, oh God, I don't, I, I, that movie here, this is funny that that movie, uh, I watched that movie when I was a kid and the only thing that bothered me in that movie was they go into this village and you hear this pig squeal and the guy shoots the pig. Yeah, I remember and that. And that drove, that really fucked me up. I was in like sixth or seventh grade when that movie came out and I, to give you an idea of how cool I was in sixth and seventh grade is I had a t-shirt of that movie. I wore a t-shirt of that movie. You had a crew a crew jacket? <laughs> I had a platoon t-shirt. <laughs> what a fucked up movie to like have a t-shirt. It's like I know, a, but I really liked speaking the Speaking of uh, Willem Dafoe, it's like having a uh, Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> yeah. The t-shirt was cool. It was an yeah, upside-down cool. flak helmet. It was yeah. a poster. Oh, I remember. Yeah, it was a cool poster. Helmet, and it says, when I die, bury me upside down so the world can kiss my ass. Wow. And, and the ass part was kind of out, so it was like I didn't get in trouble. Yeah. It said, like, the world can kiss my right. I had a, um I had a friend, uh, when I was in elementary school, I had a lot of friends that were from uh, Southeast Asia, and they had moved uh, to Eastern Washington. With their parents, um, and their parents were grew up in Thailand, Laos, these countries, and, and, and didn't speak English, and they moved to where I lived, which is kind of this small farm community, you know, Kennewick. Yeah, Tri-Cities. Um, no, there's no. a lot of farming, there's a lot of meat packing plants, there's a lot of this kind of shit. And so they moved there because, you know, these are the types of jobs you can do when you don't speak English. And their parents didn't speak English, but I remember... Uh, they, you know, they buy their clothes at uh, thrift stores, and my friend came to school, and he's wearing one of the, the it's like a classic, or like, 80s t-shirt, where it was, like, two really fat people with their stomachs naked, with their stomachs pushed together. <laughs> it says Mission Impossible on it. <laughs> <laughs> like a Venice Beach boardwalk shirt, Yeah, you know? yeah. But he got in trouble, but it was, like, it wasn't, like... It wasn't if I wore like a shirt that said "fuck you" to school because yeah. I put it on. It was yeah. like his mom had given him that shirt. Yeah, they were like, "You're suspended because your parents are fucking poor." Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Oh my god, 
horrible. That doesn't sound like that offensive of a shirt. Like I, that was that was the era of the famous Metallica "Metal Up Your Ass" oh, shirt. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that one? Well, I remember that, and I've told this story before. I remember that, and not only do I remember that, but I also my mom was a. Uh, I told you about my mom uh, taught at Pantera High School, but uh, I went to uh, visit her at school one time, and there was. I remember the shirt, but also there was a a wooden. Remember when people had wooden desks that opened up or whatever? Of course. I don't know if they still have those. In, I haven't been to. I don't either. In, in elementary schools in a while, but someone had carved in to the desk with a knife the Metallica "Metal Up Your Ass" logo. Oh yeah, and I also had <laughs> next to it had carved the the like what it, what's the what's the guy that's on like the men's bathroom? It's like kind of like a stick figure or whatever. You know, like on a men's bathroom, sure. it's like a round head, round hands, round feet. Yeah, and I don't know, just the men's bathroom <laughs> single guy. So it's like two of those having sex that says, like, AIDS kills. So it's just totally not, like, it's just totally like, you could never do that now, you know? It's just the 80s uh, outside of Portland, Oregon. Clackamas. Yeah. Cl- yeah, you know all 80s. this stuff. You know where all this know shit all these is. references. Yeah, yeah, I know. God. Yeah, just the white, trashy sort of people behavior. don't think of the pacific northwest i think the pacific northwest they don't real the media portrayal of the pacific northwest is a very uh it's a sliver of it right literally um like a physical sliver watch any episode of cops that takes place in pierce county yeah which is I lived like in what, pierce county yeah, tacoma area yeah. you know and that's like that's what i remember yeah, is like, federal way. There's so much. There's so many episodes of cops that take place in that part of the country. There's like that. There's Ohio. There's like you know even the the L.A. one. I don't even know if there's like a L.A. cops, but there's like the the weird suburban cops is like the really yeah. That's the that's the example of what those what's going on up there. Yeah, that's the Pacific Northwest <laughs> in a nutshell. It's weird suburban cops. Mm-hmm. The... Do they have cops in Chicago? Because you're from, you're, uh, that's my segue. Do I'm they have cops Chicago. in Chicago? There are, there are no police. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to have handguns in Chicago, There's right? There's not a lot of problems in Chicago. But you're not allowed to have handguns. That's the big debate with Chicago is that, 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 there's, that there's a high murder capital rate and then everyone else says like, oh, but the reason why is because you're, you don't have handguns there. Uh, yeah, and I'm not I, saying I know the answer. I wish I could sort of weigh in with <laughs> with strong expertise. I've seen, and you know, it's like everything on Twitter is just oh god, like meh. So I don't. No, no, no. I, I never know what to believe anymore. I, I, sure. uh, Illinois is a blue state surrounded by red states with lax yeah. gun laws, including Indiana, which right. borders the south side of Chicago. Right. Um, so that's one. That's one thing theory. That, that's people one go to theory, Indiana. I don't fucking yeah. know. I don't fucking know. But where did you grow up in? I grew up in. I grew up actually kind of moved all over the Midwest until moving to Chicago when I was nine. You were born in where? Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. That's right. Milwaukee. Uh, near, closer to Chicago. The there's like one county in in Wisconsin that's kind of sort of halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee. Kenosha. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that where Rolling Rock is from? No, Rolling Rock's from Pennsylvania. Oh, shit. What's from Kenosha, Wisconsin? Uh, Orson Welles. Oh. <laughs> um, the congressional representation of Paul Ryan. Oh, um, okay. Wisconsin is a weird state. Yes. It's one of the coolest states to kind of drive through because they have a lot of, like, roadside attractions. 
Yeah, Wisconsin's awesome. Yeah, I really uh, like it. It's very strange. Um, yeah. There's mass murderers come from there. Yeah. Um, That's like a Northwest thing, too. Yeah. Or not mass murderers, but serial killers. Serial killers, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then it's also it's po- very politically polarized in an interesting way. There's c- kind of hippies there, yeah. too. And um, Well, Madison is a big kind of... That's a big college hippie. town. Milwaukee's like a really cool, diverse Rust Belt kind of city but it's totally rat like when you go there I've you're only, always yeah i've yeah. played shows there and driven through there never spent enough time there but always thought like oh this is a really cool town and i've only heard really good things about it but i've also heard it's kind of like it, as diverse it is i also heard it's kind of like it, it can have it's like weird kind of segregated areas i'm too. sure I, it is yeah, yeah i don't know i mean i just i yeah. don't know enough either yeah I don't know about anything. I'm just gonna anything. You well, no one me, knows anything anymore. I just big questions you ask. No, me, I know. I, I don't know why we're say, so serious all of a sudden yeah, after the really fucking serious. choking out a raccoon. Yeah. Well, I killed a rat yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Just just circling back around just to finish. Yeah, the let's story. finish the story. Um, I think that my dog maimed a rat in the front yard. Yeah. Um, and I had to make the split decision because it was it was it was crawling around with its like back legs broken and yeah. I, I bludgeoned it with a shovel and we did make eye contact before i did it too and i did say like a little agnostic did you bury it uh no i put it in a garbage bag and oh, yeah. put it in garbage that's like a rat's burial yeah that's pretty much <laughs> it seemed like burying from once it, it came weird we have so many coyotes and i don't want some yeah you don't want to attract yeah. those i mean we jess and i were walking fonzie the our dog the other day over here and coming down the hill as we were around dusk as we were walking were two massive coyotes yeah beautiful i thought they were like huskies they were huge um but then the other night we were walking along and this british woman was walking her dog and she was warning us i can't do it she was warning us about uh she had just seen two coyotes uh on the trail and she said that they were being a bit cheeky ah (laughs) cheeky coyotes (laughs) It's the first. That's the only time those two words have ever been used. In I know. I loved it. Same, I, was, a, I said to Jess, I was like, God, I love. I, sometimes British people, I love. I love the the, I love the, cheeky, the words, you know, especially coyotes. for like when you're just describing a coyote as cheeky. We have two coyotes in our neighborhood. I don't know if either of them are cheeky or not, but there's. Um, and I've corroborated this with my neighbor. It really is like there are two, and they're kind of residents. And one is big and strong. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. Thusly. Um, the other is like rangy, scrawny, and like fucked up looking, which is also scary. I don't know which one is scarier because the rangy one, I'm like, is that guy rabid? Is he? Yeah. He's got like nothing to lose. He's on a suicide. Well, it's like if you're in a bar and there's like a really a big muscly dude, and then there's like a short guy. Yeah. Like the short guy is always the, like the, the scary, scary one because he's the yeah. one that's going to escalate shit. Yeah. You know, because he's got something to prove. Yeah. It's like uh, The Rock and Kevin Hart. Yeah. Why does it always have to come down back to The Rock and Kevin Hart? Because pro wrestling and <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but the rangy coyote. Um, yeah, well, we saw one the other day walking down the street, and it was like had like mange, you know, horrible mange, and it was like limping, and it was in the middle of the daytime, like one in the afternoon, That's and, like in good. Pasadena, and yeah. it's like walking over like in the old town of pa- Pasadena, like where there's like you know, uh, Urban a, Outfitters. A frozen yogurt, yep. uh, 21 flavors or whatever. And it's just kind of like stumbling through. And it's like that thing. You don't want to get near that no. thing at all. No. You know, you don't even want to try to scare that thing off because well, it's got some sort of like super, 
coyote disease or whatever you know it's fucking crazy yeah he's on a kamikaze mission that's crazy i mean that's just that's just where we live in la it's so weird to see that stuff and you see it so constantly you know and having when i didn't live here you know just had no clue that that's like what i'd be dealing with when i yeah like oh people are like oh you're moving to la you might want to get uh life lock for your car because it's like your car's gonna get stolen it's like no one told me there's gonna be fucking coyotes <laughs> like you know what i mean i was like thinking like oh i'm gonna be someone's gonna mug me yeah that's no, kind of the thing it's not, I'm scared it's not of mugging night, yeah. walking around it's just coyotes yeah it's like animals mm-hmm. scary animals it's more animals than it is uh everyone here is nice yeah it is very nice <laughs> I, know. I never had a problem with anybody here yeah i used to get in fights in bars in seattle all the time not here maybe i'm just old yeah that could be but then so you uh back to back to chicago when, yeah. when did you end up in chicago though um i ended up in i lived in you know i like most a lot of people um i just moved to my closest city so i grew up outside of chicago you know 15 20 miles outside of chicago right from age nine to like after high school and i yeah. just moved into the city. that was me in seattle yeah. i was three hours away but yeah there yep. was nothing else so that was in naperville i went to high school in naperville yeah yeah i want to know more about naperville because naperville seems to be like there seems to be a lot of people that came out of naperville yeah um chicago has a good way of i feel like exporting uh rock and roll and people but i don't know why the one reason a lot of people come out of naperville is because it's it's big yeah as far as suburbs go. it's like coming from uh the the seattle equivalent would be like bellevue right. or something or, or here would be like i don't know glendale it's like one of those suburbs where it, that has one hundred and fifty thousand people right santa monica um but uh it's um naperville's i was at a bar in portland and i was like talking about chicago and the bartender was like oh you're from chicago um He's like, me too. And I was like, where are you from? And he's like, oh, man, I'm from the worst place you could possibly be from. I don't even want to tell you. And I was like, where? And he was like, Naperville. Naperville's um, not bad. It's fine. It's it's like an upper middle class. Yeah, they got Whole herb, Foods. And uh, it's um, whatever. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I haven't been back there. And my parents don't live there anymore. And uh, I think a lot of people move from Chicago, though. I don't hear of a lot of people moving to Chicago. It's, I feel like it's one of those places. Like I, I feel like people move to LA, they move to New York, they move like I don't hear of people moving from, you know, or or to Chicago as much as I hear them like export it. You do um you do when you're in Chicago, you yeah. meet people from all over the place. But you're right. I mean, but maybe it's, it's um, more Midwestern people moving to Chicago than since I grew up on the West Coast, I never hear of anyone moving from the West Coast to Chicago. Yeah, Chicago is definitely a magnet for for people. For and I meet people in yeah. bars all the time yeah. that are from Chicago. Yeah, it's like Boston or something. You know? Yeah, there's a Boston and Chicago are similar in that way, especially in like L.A. and New York. There's a, a weird. There's so many people from people. Boston. You sort of like, <laughs> yeah, you go back into the accent and you see them and. Whatever, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Chicago's awesome. It's a weird. It's kind of a weird, mysterious place for people too, and um, it's big and urban yeah. too. Um, I think people, people, a lot of people move there um, uh, from elsewhere to do like business and right. Stuff. Like that's it's a that's what I think of it is. Yeah. I think it's like, like people move 
from like there's like there's comedy school there like second city and a lot of people when i was doing improv and stuff i met because i met them through improv but they a lot of them were from chicago you know and, and that's that's a tradition going back to like saturday night live and all this well, shit before you know? that because second city yeah that's then, what i mean and then that's where a lot that, of those people came out like of you mike know? nichols and elaine may had um totally uh God, they had a. I think the Compass Players was the name of it. I might be totally wrong. I don't, I don't know the names of those kinds. You need of things, like but... a producer person who sits. Well, there Jess usually has a producer. She has a role usually where she has like a. She looks stuff up, or she uh, maybe will write something on a piece of paper and hold it up if I'm saying something that's totally wrong. <laughs> Not today, though. A lot of comedians and, and improvisers go to Chicago from elsewhere to start there with right. the notion that they will leave right someday. Um, and that was always what I was like as a kid. I loved it there. And I don't know, if I would have taken like a couple of different turns in life, maybe I would still be living there doing yeah. something else. I don't know. But I always wanted to leave. I always, uh, I, I was, uh, people always like to say like, oh, you're from the Midwest, big dreams and whatever. And I'm like, well, I'm not from like the far, I, I think people, right. people from the coast don't realize the Midwest is sort of diverse to economically and culturally and everything too that basically that my life is not the same as a farm kid from right. nebraska but gr where i grew up was like growing up in jersey yeah like north jersey or really anywhere i love it i i, I don't want i don't want to live there because of the the weather and stuff like same. that that's the hard part for me but i really like the just the vibe of it the how it kind of like even like we went we went through cincinnati where dane who plays drums and zigzags is from and like just seeing the old city like that looked really cool like the way it looks like the downtown is just like everything's kind of like brown and <laughs> that's what the midwestern cities are like they're kind of pretty old school yeah um, they feel like the way a city probably felt at one point in time uh it's it's a little glimpse into the past and um and they're like big cities, but without the pretense of like yeah. people going there to do to be fashionable or. I know it's really yeah. just it's really comfortable, you know. Yeah. Like it's just like I feel like here or you know uh, New York or even Seattle or Portland or whatever. Like you go to like a bar or something, you're kind of on edge as to is like to like oh who else is here or yeah. like what's going on like yeah. what's 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 happening next <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to just be like there you can just kind of be. You know? Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to sit here with this old style. And, but I was so young when I was there. I can't, I don't really even have like a vision of who I was. Right. Then, and I don't think I knew who I was. And I was kind of an asshole back then, too. I don't, oh, think, we all were. I don't think outwardly, but I was an asshole in my own head. Like, I, I really like, uh, was kind of a misanthrope. I was very like insecure and like didn't like, whenever i met people i always thought they hated me and i hated them and oh yeah um but that's and that's also maybe just like all 22 year olds i think so are, yeah or like that or at least 22 year olds of a certain <laughs> sort of I personality went, type or i definitely like, went through that and i'm just slowly yeah. getting out of it as I'm not much like as that possible at all anymore no I'm you're always, not like that I'm, at all i'm always like that guy's so nice but that's not uh, it's not what i'm I was like 20 better years ago. than i was but i still have that for sure i mean i was an asshole yesterday so uh <laughs> Um, what, what kind of, so you, when you were an asshole though, like, were you are like, were you already into music at that point? Yeah. Like when did, when did you start getting into music? Um, so I was, uh, 
I got into music in high school. I was never in a punk band, um, which I was like, That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's like sort of a, which you can kind of just fucking tell when you meet me. I can tell, but. I can tell, but it's also, that's such a foreign com- concept to me to never be in it's, a punk band. It's, it makes me exotic and to now. never. <laughs> to never. I even have this written down. I have a question written down that says, anything out of growing up going to punk shows is completely foreign to me yeah <laughs> and i for some reason i didn't know if that was true with you yeah but i did wrote I that, say that? Did I say no no that? no you never said anything yeah. i just i just saying i just from knowing you as long as i've known you that's my guess is that you never were in a punk band yeah i mean my exact generation <laughs> my exact people my age and from where i'm from that was like central zone for like second wave emo like all of those bands those dudes are all my exact totally year in high school or within a couple years they all uh were from like suburban chicago then yeah then all that shit kind of started in like i feel like chicago has kind of an emo does uh and i I think that's why i've always kind of had it like a i've looked down on chicago musically i've looked up to them comedically food Film wise, there's great Michael Mann. There's great bands from Chicago that are all outliers from what you think, you know. Like, yeah, um, from all eras too. There's a lot of great bands that I loved, but there's also like that stink of emo thing that. And so that's exactly at, at where, the time yeah, bothered where, me. That's where I'm from. That was, and so, and probably if I had been in a punk band, I, maybe I would have been in one of those bands eventually. right because it was like it was actually like a fr- and, and i was super removed from that i never felt part of it i didn't really like it um, that's why I, I i have to defend seattle in some regards always and i remember uh, a mutual friend of ours we got in a fight uh uh in seattle not a fight but like argument about music and uh uh it, i was saying something about how seattle uh we make the music that Chicago listens to or something like that. <laughs> We're just being assholes. Um, but like, isn't like, uh, what's that fucking man? Fallout boy. Isn't that a Chicago band? Yep. They're, they're from like the Chicago suburbs. See, this is know. where I, this is where I defend Seattle because fallout boy would have never been able to exist in Seattle. I feel like maybe, yeah, M- maybe we had like candle box. Yeah. That was, that was our version of that. Yeah. I mean, like different I don't, time too. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not down on Seattle because, because honestly, like that was. The place, I'm not trying to argue with that. You. Was the place that adopted? I mean, fast forwarding, you know, skipping a whole bunch of shit. Right. That was actually, and still is the place that adopted me, for whatever reason. Right. Um, in many, many ways. Sure. Not just like sub pop and sure everything, but like just. But then there's just, there's and, Chicago stuff yeah. that I love, like Touch and Go and Drag City and all these kinds of bands. You know, like yeah, these, and Chicago still. You know? is was great to me yeah too but it was it was interesting how um going to the northwest for the first time it was it was like i feel like it's too cold like it's like so cold there that you can't be skinny and that's why it's hard (laughs) to be in a band there there's some skinny guys there that's i don't know you i'm gonna have to you have a lot to learn but like uh no there's fat people there for sure um you can't be no i don't mean that i just mean you know it's like it's hard to be artistic when you're that cold all the time oh it was the best like that was the cold shit seattle's the perfect amount of cold it's just rainy and cold enough that you can practice but you can still like you know no you're not like deathly cold all the genesis of my creativity was in the dead of winter yeah um because it was like you couldn't you it was all you could do was 
sit in your shitty, weird, mouse-infested apartment and smoke cigarettes and play on the fortune. Well, that's the problem here. There's too much fucking outdoor shit. It's hard to, like, practice. Yeah. You know, you have to, like, it's it's hard to get people to practice. you got to force them to go to the practice space. Yeah. And then you got to put a fan on or hope that you have air conditioning in yeah, your practice space. Yeah, it's fucking hot. <laughs> um, so- Okay, so back to Chicago. What what kind of music then? If you weren't in a punk band, what, and what were you not listening to? I mean, I always think of I think of like all of my phases of fandom, and uh, I think of all my phases of fandom, and I, it's it seems like I went through these long stretches where like I was really into this, sure for a while, and blah blah blah. Um, but when I actually really started to think about like the years of my fandom i would go through phases that last like about a month like that that the time period between when you're 16 and 21 you probably i went through like 10 totally disparate phases that sort of took me to that seemed like completely out of it i like the grateful dead i was like a kind of a classic rock kid it was like why i wasn't like a punk rock right. guy but i i liked alternative music i was interested in it but i didn't find alternative music like my i started high school in 1990 and Mm -hmm. graduated in 1994 my Mm -hmm. high school years were literally split in half by nirvana nevermind coming out sure which everybody makes a big deal out of what a watershed that was but it actually kind of was um i could like i can attest to that because i was was like 16 when it came out right i think i was what year did that come out? Ninety two. It came out in like late ninety one, but yeah, like kind okay. of, but was like I, I always associate it with nineteen ninety two. Yeah, so I do too for whatever reason. So yeah, I think it did come out in ninety one, and I think Bleach came out in like eighty nine. Yeah, but uh, you know, for me, I was, I was so I was like eleven when it came out, so it was just a, it was too, I didn't get it, you know, right right off the bat. It took I, a minute. I liked it. Yeah. And I did. Well, you were 16. Yeah. And I did feel like, um, and I had been kind of like this, I, I liked, um, you know, in my first couple of years in high school, I liked the Grateful Dead and I liked, um, like probably the thing I listened to the most was like Steve Miller band's greatest right. hits tape. And, right. um, and I liked metal still like, and like bad metal. Cause like, I'm also from that perfect age of like, I was 12 and 13 during the hair metal glam hair yeah. metal years. So like freshman year in high school, people were still listening to that shit. Like right. poison was sure. still like a huge band yeah. when I was a freshman. And by the time I was a senior green day was the biggest band. Right. So that's a green day was yeah. big for our like group, my group of friends. But like I said, my mom went to Pantera high school or taught at Pantera high school. So, uh, uh, one of the first bands that I heard and got into was a tape, was a Metallica tape, and it was like, you know, I think it was Injustice for All, probably. So before, like the Black Album or whatever. So at that point, it was like anything that wasn't Metallica was not good enough for me. So that's why I had a hard time with Nirvana at first. But like, I could see how if you were into like Steve Miller Band or something like that or Grateful Dead, like how Nirvana could be a a, a stepping stone or whatever because like even those guys were saying they were like you know we're doing like Bay City Rollers mixed with Black Sabbath exactly. like they're, they're writing pop songs yeah. you know or they're trying to it's just under this like n- noise you know yeah and I appreciated that and so and then shortly thereafter this kid moved to our school from Boston and uh, like w- and we became friends when I was a senior and he liked indie rock. And right. he had like a cool older college brother. And he introduced me to like uh, just everything that was happening at that time. Like 
all kinds of shit. Right. Um, like, I think like the first thing he played me was like Archers of Loaf right. or something like that. And that was very revelatory because sure. I felt like that stuff was like definitely from a punk language. It had a punk language to it, which pavement. was like something I didn't know, but, uh, but yeah. like, and pavement too, Guided which by was voices. huge. Uh, that shit, it was all very steeped in classic rock sure. and everything, but I was like, well, Steve in classic rock. I also was starting to play music, but I was like, I can't fucking play like Steve Miller band. Sure, I couldn't play music. That well, who well. can put a band together like that? You yeah. know, it's like especially in the nineties. Like, yeah, so that shit was very. <laughs> it would have been you and like four fifty-year-old yeah. dudes or whatever. Yeah, because I didn't want to play punk rock. <laughs> right. I didn't know how to play that. Right. Um, and I could like classic rock, but I wasn't capable of playing like Peter Frampton or right. whatever. And um when i heard that stuff i was like well this is very palpable um and it kind of like set me off on a path so when did you start playing guitar then uh when i was like 16 okay um because i was a good singer right um, people wanted me to be the singer of their band right um you're like will ferrell and stepbrothers and i was totally scared to just stand there i was like what am i fucking bono? yeah <laughs> and uh and uh, so um so i actually forced myself to learn guitar yeah um but I, I could not figure out how to apply um, chords to, like, songs that I was learning. I still, I wasn't like, I'm going to sit down and learn this Beatles song or mm-hmm. something. So the very first bunch of stuff I did was I wrote songs. Yeah. Like, before I ever learned anyone else's songs, I wrote, like, three or four yeah. terrible yeah. songs. Yeah. But, um, but, so I immediately, I learned That's to pretty play punk guitar. Rock, and I played, and I... It is. It's punk rock in the sort of... In the uh, sense of it, because, yeah. you know, these these guys that are like the guitar heroes, you know, like, the, like they were like, oh, I l- learned all these blues songs, and I can play all these, like, Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton or Jeff Beck, you know, like, these guys, that's like, when you hear about them growing up, they're just like, oh, I just played along to little Richard records all yeah. the time, and, like, when I was starting to play guitar, and I tried to do that or something, I, I couldn't fucking play to any... I didn't even know... It took me, like, three months to figure out that I had to press the strings all the way down to the fretboard. <laughs> yeah. So, for three months, it was just... Yeah, you know? I couldn't do bar chords, like, at all for, like, three years or yeah. something. I still can't. To where I was, like, I don't... So, I could never play, like, a B flat. I was, like, if like if a song involved, like, a flat or sharp right. chord. I was like, oh, I can't play that. So sure. I have to just write these songs that are like G, C, E minor. My first song was E minor, A7, just over and over. Like yeah. the two kind of easiest sure. chords. Well, I, I just got into A7, so I don't know. But yeah, I just, I'm just power chord guy. And power chord, index finger, and pinky, which is like the <laughs> least economical sort of situation, you know. Except for if you're, if well, if you're doing index finger and um like ring at least you can do other stuff but if you have index finger and pinky you're fucked yeah that's where i'm at index pinky yeah yeah no, power cord fucked. yeah that is that is that's a weird way to do a power cord it's the worst this kid from my I high small school, hands there was one kid in my high school who was like sort of the other sophisticated kid who i also became i kind of became i started hanging out with like the freak table yeah. around junior and senior year yeah that's um, when i started too yeah um I was, was too like, nervous before that. We had a senior cafeteria mm-hmm. at our school. And like when you're a senior, you get to like graduate up to the senior cafeteria. Sure. And it had a jukebox in it. Ooh. Um, it was like uh, Happy Days. And it, yeah, like a jukebox. And it was like the fucking Peach Pit from 90210 <laughs> or something like the that. Max. A lot of drama. It was the Max um, from uh, Saved by the Bell. Yeah. And like when you're like a freshman, you're like, someday. And then by the time I was a senior, uh, um, the freak table was a multi-age 
um, multi-genre freaks yeah. too. It was like skaters, theater kids, sure. like hi- some hippies. Like there wasn't a lot of hippies, but um, so by the time I was a senior, I was like, "Fuck the senior cafeteria!" So I started hanging out at the at the freak kids really? table. And um, so again, lots of music. But this one kid who was like the best guitar player in the school. We, he was talking about some other kids' band from our school, and he's like, "They're okay." A lot of open chords, though. And I was like, oh, fuck, am I not, am I not cool? Like, yeah. open chords. Oh, fuck, I better learn bar chords. I felt really um, self-conscious. And right. I, I was like, if you play open chords, you're totally fucking It's like country lame. music. Yeah. Um, but R.E.M. was a very open chord. Yeah, I could see that. Of. Well, they have that, like, yeah. the, like, the, it's like, the, like the birds or something, you know? I feel yeah. like the R.E.M., like Peter Buck sounds like he's got that birds thing going on. Totally. It's the 12-string j- guitar. It's jangly. Um <laughs> So anyways, and then I became way more of a deadhead for like a while right yeah. after high school. I kind of got back, sucked back into the dead because the dead was around still and I yeah. started going to shows. Yeah. And that was like an alternative thing. That was still, I mean, it was like, it was definitely the touch of gray era and it was like a frat party. Sure. But there was still, still a lot of fucking weird shit going on at those things. And I went to there and I smoked weed all the time and I took acid and I like a fully like got into that yeah and then i couldn't really get into the i couldn't like go down the path of like fish and stuff like that right right um what about what about like Lollapalooza though i never went to Lollapalooza. yeah see i was i was at i was going i never went to any dead shows i was like going to Lollapalooza, and i was going to like van's warped tour i don't know why i never went to Lollapalooza. i kind of wanted to um but but uh, now Lollapalooza is always in chicago yeah, so I had this time where like the dead and indie rock was crossfading um, with each other in my fandom, and I had to sort of like choose a path a little bit. And I think that's kind of what Fruit Bats was was just like um, uh, eventually being like I kind of like both of those things. Yeah, and and doing that at the time when I was doing it, especially in Chicago, was um, not cool. It yeah, was not uh, it was not like well received out of the gates well you're going perfectly into my line of questioning here so by it's like you're reading the questions i looked here. i looked at this, uh, <laughs> i sent you the i sent you i sent your publicist uh, the questions points. last night yeah. just to make sure that it's you used to be my publicist <coughs> fuck i totally forgot yeah. that's even weirder yeah. we'll get into that um but so tell me then tell me about how fruit bats started then because were you playing in bands in high school or like no so i was i actually it's played a first in, band i played in like a no fruit bats is not a first band second oh, band second band um uh and i played in like a folk duo in high school mm-hmm. um and we had like some original johnson songs. and johnson <laughs> johnson that would have been good but no <laughs> um no it was with my friend steve ryan and um who basically kind of like taught me guitar yeah. and everything too. He was the guitar player of the band that I joined as the singer, but we never, I never ended up playing a show with them. Kind of like fell apart before we could even like do anything. Right. I don't even think we rehearsed ever maybe. Yeah. Um, but we did like a folk duo and we played at the coffee house in our town. Um, and we played at like a couple of assemblies in high school. And we also got called to play at a girl's, 16th birthday party wow um 
and we got paid like $150. That's fuck, That's a big gig then. Yeah, that was the first paying gig I ever had. Yeah. So anyways... Um, you went home and were like, fuck you, mom. Yeah, but as a folk duo, <laughs> it was like pretty... That's like a pretty decent payday. That's 75 bucks each, 75 man. bucks yeah. each. And um, we didn't even have enough songs. They were like, can you play two hours? And we sure. were like, totally. But oh, we, God. we repeated stuff oh, and, and did a lot of monologuing. And, yeah. Um, so, and then when I... Then later, you know, fast forward like a year or two later, I started a band in Chicago called iRoboat. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, uh. Not, you know, not the greatest name. It went through, the Boat original ride. band was National Bag, um, which was the name of a wig store in Chicago yeah. that I used to always go by. Yeah. Um, I like National Bag. National Bag actually sounds like a band now. Yeah, that would be of. a band now. That would that would be like with um, Grateful Shred. National Bag would be playing. Um, we we played two of the first two shows. One we were called National Bag. The other we were called Rio Grande. Yeah. Um, and then it was I Robo ZZ Top. But we reference. didn't play very much. But that was like a m- way more like an indie rock band. Like mm-hmm. kind of came, yeah. I Robo um, is an indie yeah. rock name. Yeah, it was very. It's like, like Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was very like of that time, um, and it sounded like um, it was cool. There was it, it was not a bad band. Yeah. Like when I've gone back and like listened, I'm like, this is not bad. Um, it was you know just very indie rockish of the time, but it sure. was it had a it definitely had like a folky Americana undercurrent to it because I that was just sort of how I played guitar. Too. Right. I didn't want to play like folky music anymore. Right. Um, but. And you were playing guitar and singing in this band, iRobot? Yeah, I was the primary songwriter of it. Were you did you did you go to school to learn music too? No, or no, I you never, never did. You anything. never went to like yeah. uh but I thought didn't you did you ever teach it? Like Yeah. Oh, okay. So I started working at this place called the Old Town School of Folk Music. Is this at the same time? Uh right around that same time. And that was like that totally started leading me in a different direction because that place is very folky. Yeah, but that's um, interesting though. That is interesting about Chicago is and just that like there's these like you know a, a, a music school like that and then a comedy school. You know, it's like you wouldn't I I didn't find that in other places as much. You know, like, yeah, it's pretty it's unique. Cool. Um, and that and the Old Town School is a totally like there's literally nothing like it. it yeah, was, it was uh, a very a kind of a construct of very like 1950s beatnik culture and um and is like this sort of landmark cultural institution in chicago that's been around since the 50s now yeah and they do shows and and I, I ended up just kind of falling in with them um and it was really lucky that i did because um a it taught me a lot about other kinds of music sure i started teaching guitar because it's is it like, like a john fahey kind of thing or something or like or is that off or is it like it's all kinds like of things. what were the like what are the kind like what's the like artists that kind of came out of there are well, there the, any, no? the artists that came out of there in the old guard were roger mcguinn from the birds ah, learned okay. guitar there are the birds um, from chicago uh no but mcguinn is from okay. chicago okay. originally um, I think the birds are kind of from all over, right? Um, and met in L.A. Well, in L.A., yeah, obviously. Um, but uh, and then John Prine is associated oh, okay. with that place. Um, Great. And like Steve Goodman is probably kind oh, of oh, I the love Steve Goodman, saint of that of Old Town School. Um, uh, I found out about Steve Goodman because of that fucking Cubs song. Yeah, totally. Go Cubs, go. Yeah, and then like I was like, what the fuck are they singing? Because yeah. the Dodgers were in the in the series with them. Of course, two so you years had to ago. hear that song. Every I kept time hearing it, and yeah. I got into like a fight with this guy on Twitter about like the Cubs, and they would always fly that fucking W. And then I kept hearing that song, and I was like, this song is really 
cool actually yeah. <laughs> like it's like really catchy it's weird yeah and then i looked up steve goodman what was his other like hits that uh, he had? his hit well his probably i think his, <laughs> i believe his biggest hit was um city of new orleans that are oh, that's right sang. yeah um, yeah he wrote that and that's kind of like the unofficial anthem of the old town school of folk music oh okay. which is says new orleans in the title but actually is singing about a train called the illinois central like oh, which okay. goes through most of illinois so it's kind of like this illinois anthem that steve yeah. goodman wrote see goodman also notably um graduated high school with hillary clinton um, right park ridge illinois but he also though he ended up in seattle Maybe. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's where I, he died. No shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I can't remember the exact story, but it's it's interesting. And I want to say that... I, I don't want to say that he committed suicide, but... I, he died of cancer. He died of cancer. I knew yeah. it was something... Something not... And his ashes are... Super hot. put underneath home plate at Wrigley Field. Really? Yeah. And then, they, and then they had a fucking, like... And then fucking Eddie Vedder sings a song about it. Me and Steve Goodman and Eddie Vedder then are all Chicago people that... Uh, that went to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was gonna say you. I was gonna. I, I was gonna say that maybe. I thought you were gonna say you had a. You had a Cub song, but I guess not. No, I should. Um, so you were at the school of music there. So I was at the school of music, and then <coughs> um, I was, and then they were really just like they. They took a shine to me, and I started teaching classes, even though I really had no business doing that. But because you can teach these beginners and mm-hmm. everything, if it's just, as long as you're a good communicator and yeah. everything like that, um, it's very. It's not like it's not a school about shredding at all. Sure. There's no like shredding component to it. It's which is awesome. Um, and there was always like, and then they liked people to be in bands, to be touring and everything. Andrew Bird was one of the other teachers at the time when right. I was starting there. A guy named Robbie Folks, who has gone on to do really well in like the country, kind of alt country mm-hmm. world, was one of the teachers. Um, Steve Earle would sometimes come oh, cool. in. Oh, cool. Te- That's like, awesome. Yeah. So it was like, people were like, uh, you were like really meeting a lot of, I was meeting a lot of cool people and amazing people would come through to do concerts and stuff like that. They would let me tour whenever I wanted. Yeah, of course. Um, but I was teaching this class, and this um, woman who was in my class, who was actually a comedian and a actress too, who was super rad. Um, she was friends with like all the guys from Red Red Meat and uh, all yeah, those great. bands that yeah. I love, and they were looking for a person. Brian Deck is that Brian? Yeah, and she was friends with Tim Rattilly, who's like oh, yeah, the main Tim guy Rattilli, yeah. from Califone, and right. they were. They were looking for a, like a, multi instrumental, harmony singer person, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> I think like the legend goes that he was like, and I need it to be somebody that like, is just kind of like a fucking nobody who, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if that's totally true. I like to believe that that's true. I like that. And she was like, I got your guy. So one of my students was like friends, and she's like, you should talk to my teacher. Yeah. Um. And then I was also like, and I played banjo too, because I had picked up the banjo a few years before that. I uh-huh. was actually teaching banjo. Oh, wow. Um, and so I joined Califone, um, right. which is like, um, you know, never a band that has, they've never gotten huge, but they're one of those bands that like uh, everybody in a band loves them. Right. Um, and the, they literally took, I had, honestly, with like iRobot and anything, I had barely, I'd probably played like 10 shows, no meaningful shows ever, as far as like right. people being sure. there. Maybe more than 10, but like not a lot. Um, and they took me on a six week tour opening for Modest Mouse, like right on the ascent of Modest Mouse, six week full national tour where I literally went to every play. I'd never 
yeah been anywhere is that when you first met isaac brockton yeah uh-huh. i met isaac um the regional openers who were like an unsigned band at the time were the shins okay um, in, like, in uh, albuquerque or where uh, from they they uh it was a full national tour like you know like a, basically like an outline of america we did right. with midwest in the middle mm-hmm. kind okay. of thing but like it was every we went literally everywhere right because um, when i was because being in the northwest modest mouse was already huge yeah. but in a different way than they are now like yeah. before like that float on sure. song, like well, they were like a, when we were in high school they were yeah. like such a even if they didn't sell a lot of records they were such a like uh i don't even know like kind of this mythical band even before i ever played with them oh, or yeah. saw them you know and there was a different definition of huge at that time yes too. um and and we thought they were a punk band yeah well and they kind of were but so we went we went out and we it was literally like minneapolis to boston boston to florida florida to san diego Ugh. san diego to seattle Ouch. like that tour six yeah. weeks yeah um and like all points in between sure um and it was fucking awesome. Like, it totally changed my life, like, 100%. Like, one of those where when I finished, I cried because I was like, I never want to not do this. You know, like, I, when I said goodbye to it, it was sort of like ending summer camp or something. I turned yeah. 24 on that trip. And I have a I was feeling like, you're crying for a different reason now. Yeah, <laughs> I am, where I'm just like, fuck this. Um, <laughs> but I, I cry. I, yeah, I was like, I was, I, I was really like... um. I was like, wow, my life just changed. Like, yeah. I'm never going to not do this. Sure. It's just kind of one of those things. Well, that's such a, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a unique story. I think, you know, as opposed to like, we were, you're in a punk band in a shitty van that did like, you know, 10 days and then it, totally you know, played, I mean, played to nobody. We got, I got paid $200 for the six weeks. The whole thing? Yeah, the whole wow. thing. Yeah, it was like, it Crazy. wasn't, it was like uh, everybody in yeah. one hotel room. It was not luxurious yeah. at all. Hotel room, though. But it didn't matter. Like, I was yeah. having the time of my Of course, life. when you're that age, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, and uh, it was like, and I was shocked to get $200 at the end of it. Yeah. It was, it was it blew my mind yeah. um, that I would get paid to do something so fun. Right. Um, so I met everybody there. I somehow ingratiated myself to people right. who were starting to do well well you were probably only like a couple years younger than everybody else right at the time um well the guys in california were all 10 years older than me okay so um, you yeah so that's and actually the guys quite a bit in modest mouse or my almost exact yeah age. maybe like a couple years i think know. isaac is one year older than okay me. yeah so yeah but i guess 10 years at that time 10 years seems like a lot yeah yeah um but they were very like cynical but kind of smart and and they had this record label too and i did not ever even tell them that i wrote songs for like the longest time sure. we ended up spending like six weeks together and finally by the end i was like oh yeah i do songs sometimes mm-hmm. and tim from california was like well shit let me hear him i never had ever thought i would even mention it right. to him. that was how not angling for whatever i was and then by the end of that i was like i kind of want to do this I, I, I would like to do this with my own band at some point yeah so i gave him it and he really liked it and they put the first fruit bats record out oh so that's label. when you came up with the, the name though fruit bats or i had had that name for a while but it was just like a it was solo like a joke kind of solo were you playing all the instruments or were you just like yeah. in recording it all it was totally like you're playing drums as well or um or using weird drum machines right. or it was right. like it's and it's always kind not, of a lo-fi home yeah, thing yeah it's always been a little bit of a it had been kind of like a catch-all for for other things that i did um so and then super weirdly because of and like somehow it ended up 
getting to Isaac from Modest Mouse and to James from Shins and Shins had just been signed to Sub Pop and it like it got to Sub Pop somehow. Well, that's what I remember meeting you and and you know, Red Red Meat was had fucking I don't know, maybe 3 or 4 albums on Sub Pop at that point. 3 albums on yeah. Sub Pop. Um and had like done their last out. Like they it was they had done four They'd records done and, and signed with Sub Pop and I I know that it's like still one of John Poneman's like favorite bands um i think they're one of the sort of like unsung bands of the sub pop label i think so too and not because of not because of them or the scene or anything just because of the time that it they're really fucking good they're great those records totally hold up um it was just a weird time it was that weird post grunge time where there's a lot i think there's a lot of great bands from that time that kind of like fell through the cracks because uh maybe sub pop or whoever the label was at the time didn't have the clout that they might have had earlier and then also this is before like the internet stuff so it's this like weird like kind of valley or whatever before like you know Bandcamp or before you know instagram or any of this shit you know and you had this weird period because that's when i started working at sub pop where i was just like who the fuck are all these people? You know, I've never heard of these bands. You well, know? it was crazy too because when I actually think about it now, in the same climate, if I was exactly, you know, if I was a twenty-four-year-old person now mm-hmm. doing, you know, exactly what I was doing then in two thousand one, right? Um, I would never get signed to Sub Pop or any other label for that matter. It was like I had put out this this record, uh, this weird kind of small sounding record on a tiny label had toured and stuff and no one came we got like a bad review on pitchfork back when pitchfork was mean yeah um and that was that you know but still sub pop was like well we'll fucking sign you yeah which is like a miracle when you actually when you think about all of that it was like what 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 did i have i had no business other than the fact that a couple of people that they thought was cool thought i was cool and and some people from the label uh really believed in it too and liked it so it was well i think there was something cool going on at that time because i mean i remember being there and you know for the first i'd say two years or so while i was there it felt kind of rudderless and it kind of felt like when did you start i started working there in fuck i think 99 99 wow you must have been a little baby. <laughs> I was a fucking nineteen-year-old fucking maniac. Yeah, is what I was. Uh, complete fucking asshole. Um, speaking of like being an asshole at that time, I was out of my fucking mind. Um, but uh, so yeah, I started working there in '99, and you know the big band on the label at the time was the Murder City Devils, mm-hmm. and they were on like the subsidiary of Sub Pop, which was Die Young, Stay Pretty, and. Uh, and, and the actual label Sub Pop itself, like, there wasn't, like, a lot going on. And it seemed kind of, like, confused. And a lot of people were getting kind of fired or laid off or quitting. or And didn't nobody seemed like it was cool to work there. I knew a lot of people that quit while we were there. You know, like, and just, like, I just, I was 19 and I didn't give a fuck because I just needed a job at the time. I wasn't thinking uh, so, so big about, like, what's going on here, you know. And then when I I got laid off the first time, and then uh, because we shut down the record store, the the Mega Mart that was in the uh, Pike Place Market, 
And when I came back, it was like around the same time, the time that the shins got signed and, and these, these records were coming out. And I remember when we first heard that, uh, shins record, it was like sort of this like kind of big weight was lifted off of everyone's shoulders of like, it kind of seemed, and then there was a bunch of new people, a bunch of new younger people coming in. And it was kind of like, it seemed like everybody was kind of like, Oh cool. cool. Now we know what to do. Yeah, you know, and that was re- we. And you were part of that. Signed shortly thereafter. Yeah, and you were that, part of that. That first Shins record was like, I mean, I saw them on that, you know, or right around that time when they were unsigned, soon to be signed by Sub Pop, and I was like, this is so good. I was like, oh yeah, this is like for sure. Yeah, which I never think. I think I think a lot of people were like, oh yeah, this is actually this is for sure, which is like a, it's a very. Uh, that's a very uh, difficult thing to be sure of, you know, when it comes to like but, art or music or. But whatever. it is amazing how small the vision was even <laughs> then, because I think I think sort of famously, someone at Sub Pop said to James, um, they were like, "This is this record's going to be huge. I think you're going to sell twenty thousand copies." Right. Like, you know that, and him being like, "Oh my, twenty thousand copies, really!" Like, right. um, I'm super paraphrasing the story, but sure. it was like some kind of incredibly low number that seemed like yeah. uh, at the time, you yeah. know, they had no idea that it would sell five hundred thousand. Yeah, I have a gold record in that room yeah. that proves that <laughs> yeah. they sold more than that. Yeah, um, yeah, it was funny, and 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 I think yeah, you you, and then there was like the comedy records, and there was just like there was a lot of stuff that was happening at that same time, and and I think you what, what you said is like, oh, the, these guys, these cool guys like kind of got me involved or whatever but i think it was like sort of this idea of like well if we have like ugly casanova and they're gonna sign this amount or they're gonna sell this amount and then the shins are kind and of I played in that band and you played in that band yeah. too and then and then it was like well if if we can kind of package these guys together i don't know if it was even that specific of an idea it was pretty specific like yeah. that, that was it was pitched to me many times and we and that that did happen right like we, i wasn't we got, I, it, yeah. I wasn't on in on those decisions <laughs> We got packaged a lot, and th- there was like there was definitely weird stuff where I, I always think when I think back to that time, a I was so stupid. I made tons of terrible decisions. Oh God! And also, I didn't listen to things that Sub Pop told me that were good advice. Right. And I listened to things that they gave me that were bad advice. Right. Like I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to also know how to parse out the advice. Sure, um, and I'm incredibly thankful for them in my time. But it, every once in a while, I'm like, "Fuck, I should have like not listened to them." And then I would say mostly they gave me good advice that I ignored. Right. And the occasional times when I decided to, uh, I think uh, I think we're in the, them, I think we're in the same uh, iRobot when it comes to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that period yeah. of our lives and uh, not listening to people uh, that maybe would have steered you in a in a, in, a, in a, not not necessarily a better because I think. You know, I feel really happy as to where I am now, and but maybe maybe things would have been easier for me if I had listened sure. to, listened to people a little bit more. Yeah, but when you're that fucking old, you just said you think you know fucking everything. Yeah, I thought I knew everything, and also like bands were not. I never put. A, I think like my my one. I try not to have regrets, but I never put like a good live band together at that time. I could, I didn't really get my shit together for like seven years. Right. Um. Which is a really long time, and um, it's a miracle that I even was like allowed right. back on the boat after seven years. Well, there's also this. I- there's kind of not. Uh, there's this idea of like 
uh, not insecurity, but like sort of this idea that like, oh, it's not going to matter anyways. No one's going to care. So like, why the fuck do I need to like try or whatever? Yeah. You know, I did a lot of hedging my bets. Yeah, I would have been, and and again, same time, same me now. Massive failure because you can't. I don't even think you can be that way anymore. Right. If you're if you're like young and starting off, you have to be really fully baked. Yeah. Like, um, but we weren't. It was super like it felt very like development deal vibes with sub pop and they were very like let's mold you and it just it it took me three records to figure it out is that how many you did on sub pop three four four albums and i was actually at the time i think there was there's been there were moments in time when i was the longest running artist on that label because i was (laughs) i was there for like 11 years right um like at one point i think like at one point for like a year or two i may have held the distinction for not you and dean whitmore not including mud honey um oh yeah because uh who like well, they were off and back. on you yeah. know but i think i was like the longest straight um straight through person right um but uh yeah i like fuck so much stuff up uh it's it's a miracle that i'm still going and also <laughs> um and also, like, because my whole scene of bands from that time, everybody either became massively huge, yeah, or is more or less gone, right? Um, and I'm neither of those things. I think the problem with you is that you didn't get heavily into drugs enough or alcohol. Yeah, not be- hard drugs. Yeah, because if um, you had, you would either be massively huge or you would be gone. Well, yeah, and that's what I say. Like <laughs> a lot of like the bigger here. the bigger personalities I've known, I'm like they're they're either going to be like a homeless person yeah. or a huge rock star. There's no like in between. Exactly. And I'm I'm a little more I'm pragmatic and yeah. kind of working class. Where mm-hmm. I'm like don't don't do those hard. You're drugs. from Chicago. But, um, but uh, yeah, I um from Naperville. <laughs> um, when did you did you start? Uh, did you start touring with Ugly Casanova after the first Fruit Bats record came out, or was it? I can't remember the yes. timeline just off of my. Yes, I, and I I toured with Ugly Casanova. Like a huge part of the reason why I got in Ugly Casanova was um, it was Isaac uh, used a lot of the Caliphone guys to okay. play um and they and kind of wanted them to tour, but like right. they all couldn't do it, and um I think I was like a logical. You could either call it sloppy seconds or just a logical replacement for. Right. He wanted a nobody. For <laughs> he wanted a nobody, and uh, and that was like fun and super crazy, like totally like, you know, because it was him doing a side project, but he had already he was such a big star yeah. at that time too. So it was kind of like these club tours, but like it was total fucking sure. mania too. Um, at the same time, so it was like it was fun and interesting and and again i'm just sort of like still young and i was like taking notes um of like what to do and what to not do and everything like that what not to do i don't Um, imagine and then yeah so that was yeah that was that was uh that was actually right when i was talking to sub pop okay now that i now that i remember because i believe i met megan jasper for right. the first time on that and we we and and by meet we literally we like had a meeting mm-hmm. um at the old offices the those ground level offices over kind oh, of Belltown. Yeah. yeah i started working there when it was in the first building yeah and the, but only there for a minute yeah and we and we immediately moved which is like uh if you like, you know think about moving your house now think about moving sub pop records yeah and it was just the one of the 
most fucked up things ever. Just, yeah, like, you just hire a couple movers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rock and it was just like we had the the basement of the the building was just like thousands of records everywhere just like and i mean moving your own record collection versus moving like tens of thousands of records yeah that's yeah that's insane so you guys met at the at the fourth avenue building or whatever yeah i think we met at the coffee shop right store oh yeah there was that coffee shop so everyone just like shit next to our office constantly i talked to my mom uh i was like i think i'm i'm gonna be meeting this like big record label you know she didn't know who they were but right. i was like trying to explain i was like it's she's like big... island is it island is <laughs> she, it no, def she, jam she doesn't even know that <laughs> um she uh she was like i'm more of a touch and go person yeah so. but no she, she uh <laughs> discord she, she's like you gotta I, hire your own publicist <laughs> she'd heard of nirvana though i, right, I, I always sure. would just like to, to you know if you say like i was on sub pop people are like i don't know what that is and you're like nirvana yeah now um, now you're like oh they're in the airport yeah, yeah yeah they're in the airport but uh she's she'd never been to the airport at that point even but um <laughs> but she she said what do you I, maybe you should get a haircut what are you gonna wear like oh she, yeah get a like haircut. it was like a big job interview like yeah. uh, like uh it was very funny she yeah. thought it was i was going to like a job interview or something i was like it doesn't i don't think that really matters that's hilarious um but like and i think earlier that year um Andy Kotowitz and mm-hmm. Chris Jacobs had um, come to our show, our very uh, sparsely attended, uh, ill-advised headlining tour that we did. Um, and we played at this place, Sit and Spin, yes. laundromat slash rock venue. Yes. I think in Belltown. Yes. I don't think I went to that show. I don't think you did either. No, I saw people, you the next time. Three, I think I think Sean, Chris, yeah, and Andy that came. That makes sense, yeah. And... Uh, and I think after that, played... they went to a 7-Eleven and Sean got a big bite hot dog. And, and the reason why they went there was he had advised Andy and Chris that it was one of the better 7-Elevens. <laughs> I'm gonna mention, I'll mention that to him. I talk to him all the time. So. Tell him um, why. Yeah. I, uh, no, I think um, we actually played a good show that night, too. Like It was like one case of serendipity where like we had just played one disaster after another but we had a good preview and this is the olden times when if you had a good preview in like the um stranger weekly yeah yeah we had like a good preview and the preview literally the headline was something like the sh- it's the shin's favorite band you know like uh it says this it, is for the sit and spin show yeah yeah and so people came out <clears throat> which added energy to the show yeah and we played relatively well mm-hmm. and um it was like happened to be the show that those guys were at right um which like if they'd have been at most of the other shows uh, who the fuck knows right Cause there was nobody there and we were bad right but so a lucky little moment for me and then so and then how quickly did you go touring with the shins was that much later that then? was much later. much later um, but how did you several records i never i still i so long story yeah so that time period mouthfuls first fruit bats record on sub pop came out had a you know sort of a minor college rock hit in the song when you love somebody Mm -hmm. that was like uh not even like a college rock hit because that's not even a thing but like it got licensed a lot and was sort of like a song that people knew Mm -hmm. had there been streaming at the time it would have been like a big streaming song or something like that um but um I just that record came out the same day as Postal Service Give Up. Oh wow! Which literally the exact same day, right? Um, February nineteenth, something like that. Um, but like, uh, 
when we used to put records out on the Did same day. Did I ever tell day. you my Postal Service gold record ceremony story? No, oh but you, you, you must have heard about mine, though. When I put it on eBay? Yeah, well, no, I knew about that. Oh, I thought okay. that was Shin's record. Uh, no, it was Postal Service. Yeah. Yeah, I still have that. It's in the other room, too. Um, well, my record came out same time as Postal Service, and it was like, you know how it goes? I remember them even saying, like, we just kind of pay attention to what's... Get, like, you know, they do the same amount of work for something. Um, I totally get it. And they're like... And then if one thing is just blows up, you... You ride that wave. Kinda, you you ride, ride that yeah. wave. And sure. so we got, like, buried yeah. by that. That was the first Fruit Bats album? The first on Sub Pop. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Um, first on Sub Pop. First on Sub Pop. And... Um, I remember that record doing quite well. It it did for the time. Right. I think it, it like we were still able to ride sure like the other waves that were happening, but like certainly that week it was not sure. It was not like yay. I, I remember getting a really nice email from Megan that was so sweet, um, but also like talking to Andy and Kotowitz, who was um, the best possible person for me. like another stroke of luck. Of having him as my guy because he was so another Midwest guy, another Midwest guy, super pragmatic, yeah. very positive, and yeah. very like you're gonna do good, and like I believe in you, but also like don't fucking expect too much. Sure. Like he, he was very good at tempering expectations, which is like the I think something that has uh, seen me through. Yeah. Um. But he, uh, yeah. So we got buried by that, and nothing happened with Fruit Bats really, um, other than just being an indie band that toured for a few years um to you know middling returns <laughs> for a while and i remember i was like it was fine but it was just it was just like and i sort of the i put a we made our follow-up record that i um i think uh was probably supposed to be more the going for it record and i like ill-advisedly was like i'm gonna make my own record this time and it was like it was it got a and r to death probably rightfully so mm -hmm. i also met my wife not my now wife girlfriend at the time mm -hmm. so it was great and i felt very inspired and in love but also um totally distracted mm -hmm. too so it was just this funny time i would probably wouldn't trade it in for anything because i met her and sure ended up moving out to sure. the west coast too right um but yeah is that when you moved to seattle yeah, I moved to yeah. Seattle, um, and then like just, but it was it was like I was still working day jobs. Right. Um, I still like was totally struggling, and I think in two thousand five on my taxes, I made something like five thousand yeah. dollars that year, sure or something. It was like it was rough. My rent was only three hundred dollars a, few a of month those. Yeah. at the time, but uh, <laughs> so that was helpful. And I was touring and everything, and and just kind of like getting paid in cash. Yeah, you know? it was super. It was super rough shakes in two thousand five, and then in two thousand six, I joined the Shins, and right. like it really. Really, as Natalie Portman said, changed my life. I, but it's totally you had true. all these life changing things like that. They're all they're all yeah. I there's some lucky. It was like I had a few years there where it was like a lot of watershed moments where I got um, just like something kind of swoop. Well, you're in. a pretty easygoing guy, and then you know your way around the instrument. So it's like if you're you you know it's like uh, what do they call it? Like you know the best ability is availability. And then when, when, when you need somebody, it's like, well, we can bring this guy who's like good, but he's also like a fucking maniac or, you know, we can bring this other guy who's good. Who's like, 
not going to fucking freak out, not going to like disrupt the band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I've always had my own thing to yeah. one thing. So I always felt like I don't need to, I don't, um, I like being in somebody else's band. That's what I mean. If you're, like, as, if you're a, what it would like, what do you call it? Like a session guy or a touring guy or whatever. Like, I feel like, you know, it, the, the most important thing probably is just to be like as even keeled as possible, right? You could like, make it in the 70s as an asshole. Right. And then in, in the 80s, <laughs> Same probably in the movies too, too, for know? the most part. But sure. the, it's like, it's it really like uh, starting, maybe even just starting around that time. Well, I back think, then yeah. too, it was like you had to look cool and yeah. you had to play cool. Yeah. And if you, you could be an asshole. Yeah. But if you didn't play well and you didn't look good, you yeah. were out of the band. Yeah. You know? And you could be an asshole and be the main guy. Yeah. I think you had to be a little, you had to sort of like play some politics a little bit at the time if you just wanted to like be around and you're like, I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it kind of goes back to the like, you're either a homeless person or you're the huge sure. center of attention. I think about that sometimes though when I'm like, sometimes being in bands and stuff now with people and just being like, being like, hey, we got this show and like, san francisco or whatever and then someone's like when is it and i'm like oh it's on this friday and they're like well i gotta work that night i don't know i don't really want to get my shift covered i'd be like dude if this was 1974 i'd be fucking kicking your ass right now what yeah. are you insane yeah you know like it's just like yeah so um so yeah yeah i think i yeah i did like i did nice guy my way into some yeah. some good shit and uh and um but really deep down i'm a fucking dangerous is that what it is? A dangerous guy. No. Yeah. Um, no. And then playing in Shins for four years, I was really like, that was a total thing of being like, A, I didn't ever have to have a, still have never had to have a day job after that. Right. Like, because, you know, it was, I did very well uh, in that band, toured, const- we toured for like, the better part of two years mm-hmm. on that record this is and this is the this is the lineup of like the first album or well, i guess the second it was, album it was kind of like yeah the sort of original lineup with yeah. me as like a sure. fifth person right um and it was just so fun and awesome yeah. i loved like every minute of that yeah. um and uh and it was like it was just awesome like it was kind of the that band was really big at that time it was like the yeah. moment where they had really like something no, they were was huge. happening you know yeah they and, were um, huge so it was so fun i got to just like completely hear these no like you're just up on stage and hearing this noise that you've never imagined you'd hear like an audience just sure. that, that sound it was really fucking cool and it made me be like well when and shins you know legendarily takes a long time between records so i knew i was going to have some time Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I need to like actually do this with my own band because I don't want to get, I don't want to like go back to the old times again. Mm-hmm. I want to be better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> sure. And, uh, so we made that album ruminant band. Mm-hmm. Um, and that weirdly coincided, I think in certain ways with like the fashion, like I'm not trying to purport that i was like way ahead of my time or something like that yeah. but i certainly like in 2001 mm-hmm. the time of the strokes well, and the white stripes it was like people were like this is pussy acoustic guitar right. shit and in 2009 but, yeah i was able to kind of come back with some firepower a little ambition and also at this time that was like very receptive well to 2000 yeah, but by then like you had like uh devendra bonhart had come out with yeah. these things and and then like like your friends like 
your friends, uh, but like vetiver and this sort of stuff. And there was kind of a, there was a more of a focus on like kind of the hippie stuff and like the acoustic stuff and kind of psychedelia, which like, you know, that, that early 2000s stuff was a very like, we're downtown New York. Like we wear like sure. tight clothes Which I was like, and leather never, jackets yeah, and never you know, my thing we have hair too, and stuff. My and... legs are too big. I can't fit into those kind of fucking jeans. <laughs> well, you're like, again, you're from Naperville. <laughs> yeah. Eric. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know? I was raised on kielbasa sausages, but yeah, you came over for Thanksgiving and you yeah. served me uh, broccoli with cheese and, and saltines. Yeah. Yes, I did. Ritz. Actually. <laughs> oh, Ritz. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> that's uh, not a skinny jean meal. So I was very lucky at that time. I was also like bef- right before like streaming swallowed everything. Um, so we like sold some records of that and we started to have good sold out shows and I had a good live band and shit kind of came together for like a, a little while. Um, and that was really fun. That was like, I would say that was very much Fruit Bats 2.0. Sure. And it got way better. Yeah. Um, and... But yeah, it was it was definitely like the times we the times caught up to us or vice versa. I was listening to your interview with Justin from Aquarium Drunkard. Oh yeah, um, and he was kind of saying like he said like uh, he's always just sort of liked what he likes and that the culture will kind of wax and wane right. around what he likes and he's just going to kind of like keep liking what he likes. And that was that was a little bit how I felt where I was like, oh, this is a nice moment where whatever the graph is like it's kind of like it's it's hitting on our little point that's kind of how i feel too just about my own stuff which is like punk rock and heavy metal stuff in the sense of like i can like other stuff like i can like what you're doing and i can like you know certain like i can like certain aspects of the grateful dead or whatever but uh for me like whenever i've tried to branch out too far away from what i liked when i was 13 or 14 i i I get bored really fast with it. I get into it for a minute and I go like, oh, okay, I'm going to check out this thing or whatever. And and I end up just kind of getting bored of it and I go back to like listening to like The Misfits or something, which is just like <laughs> the lowest common denominator. I'm exactly the same way with yeah. like where I'm just always going to probably go back and listen to the Notorious Bird Brothers. Sure. Like yeah. every year or, or what, you know, whatever it is I like. But yeah. Or for me, it's like country music or something. I get, that's the one that I kind of go back to all the time, you know, or whatever. Or yeah. Like, you, it's you your know. comfort language. Yeah, um, exactly. And I always, I'm always kind of, I, I certainly have other, um, thing types of music that I like to make, um, and listen to. I don't know if I would be able to like make that music and have anybody listen to it. Well, this is interesting because I mean we're we're this is becoming a really long interview yeah, which is, is good. But but I don't want to make it too long, but I wanted to get to cuz we I've known you for a long time and we can kind of like riff on this stuff for a long time but maybe it yeah, gets we can, a little we it gets a little inside baseball or whatever. Yeah. But um that kind of I wanted to ask you about getting into well moving down here and then getting into scoring films and working more in the like uh, that side of music and does does that give you the ability to then uh, make a type of music that you maybe not normally interested in or Absolutely. or maybe like someone uh, says oh I want this sort of fucking thing you know and you're like oh I got to kind of learn how to do that or whatever yeah that's the third watershed and I've had none since <laughs> but was getting into that right which is like uh, I. I 
I always write like life goal things out mm -hmm. like every few years. And I actually found a notebook from two. I keep all my old like recording notebooks sure. and stuff. And I found one and one was like, I did three columns. One was like small goals, medium. And then I was like impossible shit that probably won't happen, but would be cool. And one was score films. Right. Um, cause I had no idea how to do that. Sure. And I was, I got into that somehow. I got, I like, I got a few lucky breaks on that. Um, which were like, I blundered my way. I sort of like blundered my way into that, uh, into doing some shit that I had no business doing. I didn't know how to do and telling people that I knew how to do it, which is the, what you're supposed to do. That's how you gotta, that's how you um, gotta live in LA, buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> be like, I'm perfectly capable. And then you go on YouTube and learn recording. Yep, like, exactly. like after getting hired on like a big movie that has Paul Rudd in it, Yeah. like going on, you have to though, looking at it. No one here yeah. has time for no. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't have time yeah. for it. I found a Christian rock engineer who did like a 10 part YouTube class on pro tools. And he was awesome. Wow. Like he saved my life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I did that, and so the thing about film scoring, and so and I've done like ten movies um, since two thousand ten. Yeah. Um, and the thing about film scoring is that it's like you totally think you're gonna just be like, I'm gonna make like Eno Lenoir, right? Apollo atmospheres, and like, or I'm gonna be like Johnny Greenwood or John Bryan and just do these like incredibly sure. creative. It's not how yeah. it is. Um, that's one in five yeah. jobs or something like that for the most part it's like you're kind of generating sounds that somebody else feeds you it's the same in acting in a sense you know it's like i just did a commercial for uh well it was for youtube but it was it was like an espn promotion and it, it was a commercial with uh, draymond green who plays for the uh golden state warriors yeah. and i was on set for 14 hours in like a viking costume chasing people with axes and stuff and on the commercial it's like i'm there for less than half of a second i get an elbow in the stomach and yeah. then <laughs> so it's yeah but it's, it's training you for your sure experience well you know or whatever it is but i'm just you know yeah it, exactly you, you have these expectations like oh this is gonna be fucking yeah. this is what i'm gonna do and yeah. you know but when you zoom back from it, you're totally learning. Sure. Um, and uh, and it's not for everybody. And I think that somebody who plays in a band who's used to doing whatever the fuck they want um, maybe gets does a film thing and it's it's terrible. Like they don't like right. it. Um, it's not something. And for whatever reason, I think maybe it's my uh, time as a side man or something like that. Like some of my diplom I I'm very diplomatic um, that I'm able to to do that and right. sort of take direction um and do my own thing and also like try to push my own agenda too but um but ultimately like when you're doing a film it's not yours right at all sure you can't fucking be precious about it and right. that's one of my things that i find the most annoying is just people who are too precious about sure. the stuff they do because it's of course it is like it should be and it means something to you i totally get it right everybody's out there to, like making their precious little it's the same with, it's the same with acting you know yeah. and it's just like it's it's hard to be around uh actors sometimes or acting classes i've been lucky and found places that i liked and people that i liked but i've also been in situations where i'm just like these like these people are the worst people to be around like in real life 
Like, <laughs> like whatever they're doing on that stage or whatever, that's fine. I'll watch it or whatever. As soon as they say scene and they come back and sit down and start talking about their own fucking life, you're just like, get me the fuck away from this person because they're wrapped up in this like idea of like, what they're doing is this magic or whatever. And, and these are jobs, you know, yeah. these you are... have to be ready to get your ass kicked yeah. and for people to not give a fuck. Yeah. It's a job. Um, which is totally like, I just, it's like, uh, if you can't make a record and have pitchfork say that you are destined for the bargain bin on your very <laughs> first record, um, <laughs> or so I can't remember the exact quote and yeah. just being like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, like if you can't like that breaks people sometimes and i was just kind of like that sucks but oh well so and like with with the film scoring you can work for a week on stuff and totally hone it mm-hmm. and literally have somebody turn it down in sure. 30 seconds i know yeah. um and that's fine you have to totally like you can either handle that or you can't like um but it it doesn't i love that it doesn't belong to you so i'm just kind of like uh it's been awesome exercise and it's made me a better songwriter too the good thing in, in that versus just having a band though is like at least you know what you're getting paid to you know if someone yeah. says no to something that you worked on for a week at least you know well i got paid that week for it you know even if it's not I got to keep going for it, right? Yeah. And working on movies is rad. Yeah, like, exactly. Like I, I grew up being like a total movie kid. I actually wanted to be like a filmmaker, yeah. or an actor when I was a kid. I didn't music. I very much blundered into in in many respects. Like time and time again, right? I have seemed to have fallen sideways into it. Um, but working on movies and going and watching a movie at like the arc light on and your music on the big it's awesome yeah um it's like totally cool yeah um so but yeah it, it's like and then every once in a while you get totally thrown a bone and you get to do really cool music that's totally different than what you do and um but is maybe you get to sort of push yourself in a different direction yeah um i think that's a pretty good uh place to kind of wrap up here do you want to do you want to tell like andy kotowitz story real quick before we go do you have anything you want to say like tell a little story or i can edit this out too if 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 not I and mean, i have all kinds of andy kotowitz stories i don't know andy was uh, i just haven't heard one in a while so i was wondering if there's any if you had any good ones that, I, mean, I, that like, I might not know about i feel like i i mean there's probably nothing you don't know about andy's the stories of andy are very subtle yeah <laughs> um well a we went to elementary school together which is weird but you didn't know that no oh wow that is weird yeah um it was an elementary school that i only went to for a very short period of time in kindergarten and he was like would have been in third or fourth grade yeah at the time Mm -hmm. or something um but i mean all of my stories about him are just again like i was saying he it was like um i was he was um the most pragmatic A&R person in the world mm-hmm. for like a big thing. And he was such a true nerd and like wanted things to legitimately be cool. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, just n- he never blew smoke right up my skirt. Do you want to tell the Simon Finn story? Cause I feel like Andy Kotowitz would like that. <laughs> he loves a good gag. This is a story about you. <laughs> well, that's not about me. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Well, he would have. I think he would have liked this story though, just because it it, it would have been like you know how annoying it was for you. Um, it wasn't that annoying. Oh, okay. 
Um, Jed. We don't have to tell a story about me. I feel bad. No, no I, I, about I, me. I should be. This is your thing. And I, it is a good story. I just thought Andy might like it. Um, you guys were playing the Million Tongues Festival, I believe, right? Well, yeah, and it's a Yonkers story. You know, did you go with us? Did you take us with Yonkers to a five o'clock bar in Chicago? Or was that only with Zach? I think I may have done taking. I think, I think we went to a five o'clock. I, I think, went to a five o'clock bar with you. Yeah, and Andy, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we went to the one, the one with the women that were on uh, Conan O'Brien. I don't even know. There's a bar in Chicago where it's like these two women or Marie's the Riptide. Yeah, maybe? that place. You yeah. took us there. Yeah, that was yeah. right by my house. Yeah, exactly. You um, took us there. Yeah. Um, well, you should start the story about Simon <laughs> Finn because you you actually like because you know your end from so you're at this you're at this festival. Well, it's also it is an Andy story because Yonkers was Andy's thing, sort of discovery. Yeah. Thing. So you were playing with Michael Yonkers, yes, psych legend. Yeah. Um, you guys played the Million Tongues Festival and which is a Steve Krakow Steve event. Krakow event Chicago. This is a Chicago story. This is a Chicago story, and then Simon Finn also like a an obscure. Uh, is he British? Uh, I think he's British by way of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of an obscure psych folk guy who was, you know, in his 60s yeah. or something at that point. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're playing this festival, which isn't like for the uninitiated. It's not like uh, Lollapalooza. No. Like it's, it's not a, even... It's, it's at a bar called the Empty Bottle, which yeah. is a great venue. Uh, sure. Legendary, but it's a pretty punk rock right. vibe. Um, and like... The artists are all staying at Steve's apartment, maybe, upstairs? A lot of people are staying there. A lot of people are just kind of, like, partying there, you know? They're, like, smoking and drinking there. And, and it's a weird... And it's a crazy apartment. It's almost like a museum to... Dolls and yeah, weird shit. Yeah, there's an animatronic yeah. band. I think that Rock-A-Fire band from yeah. the pizza place is in the corner. And yeah. everyone's all... And it's just, like, this heavy weight of cigarette smoke and just weed smoke stuff. and yeah. Yeah, stuff in the air it sounds like a chicago apartment yeah so i lived in a, a nice <laughs> apartment like four blocks away you live right by there yeah and um at like one o'clock in the morning you came to my door with a 65 year old <laughs> british folk singer uh-huh. and said can he can he can you can you let him in all right and um i didn't have a door in my bedroom right <laughs> I was being really nice to him and not so nice to you. No, you did the right thing. It was. It goes back to me bludgeoning the rat to death. Sometimes you have to. You have to. Um, you have to make the decision. Right, to, and I couldn't kill it was, him. It was merciful, and you had to. You had to bludgeon me with a shovel. Yeah. In the process. You didn't really. It was fine. I felt so bad for him. He he said that he had like you know breathing problems. Yeah. And he was like, I can't sleep here, and it's like you know, and it's one of those. It's one of those situations where it's like you have to be you have to be so drunk that you can pass out where like you know I find myself on on these tours sometimes where it's just like the lights are still on everyone's still up everyone's smoking and you have to go to sleep cuz you have a show tomorrow and you have to drink yourself into a coma you know and he wasn't about to do this no he's a 60 something year old man i mean man. i couldn't i can't do that now and i'm 20 i don't want to do it 23 years it. younger than he yeah was, and man. i felt so bad for this guy so i just brought him over to your house that was really nice it was nice but yeah i felt I, I felt bad when i realized like that oh you're just gonna be laying in your bedroom and he's gonna be like sitting on the couch and you've never met this guy before yeah I can't, I do have a good Andy Kotowitz story, which is actually a story that I Tell referenced it. before, and then we'll then we'll call it a day. Tell it. Um, 
And this is, it's not really an Andy story, but it kind of is. But this was me doing a favor for Andy, who did me all kinds of favors. And I referenced this before. It has to do with the Postal Service, too. Okay. Um, do you remember that venue, Triple Door, in Seattle? Yes. Um, so Andy was very involved with the Coalition of Independent Music Stores, Sims. Do you remember that? Yes. And I believe Sub Pop was like... Uh, they, they they had their Sims conference, so it's like the president of Amoeba and right. like the the big indie record stores all come sure. and converge on Seattle. And Andy Kotowitz is in charge of the entertainment. Oh, okay. Um, and apparently they were almost going to get Beck or something to do it, and then they couldn't. But they're like, but we're sub pop, like so. They were almost going to get it to be Shins and Iron and Wine, uh-huh. who were very big at the yeah, time. Yeah, huge. Um, and then that fell through. And so at the 11th hour, Andy called um, and said, we please be the unwelcome sloppy thirds. He didn't yeah. say this. But we we do this. We be the band that nobody... and. It, I felt like fruit bats were very hopelessly uncool at that moment. Were you living in Seattle at this time? Or? Yeah. Okay, so it yeah. wasn't that. Yeah. So they did. They did a triple bill of fruit bats, Kinski, Helio sequence, oh, um, yes. and all good bands, but mm-hmm. definitely like the B team. Like definitely felt like the B team a little yeah. bit, at least at least based on as far as numbers, stats, as far go. as numbers and stats, stats go. Yeah. yeah, and it and and especially based on the fact that it, it was like. It was replacing these two Titanic artists at the time. Yeah. They're like, get this nobody over here. Yeah. So if you recall, so Andy's very thankful. You guys like me. the shins? Yeah. You're going to love You guys love like the shins? These You'll guys. like this. Um, they've toured together. <laughs> this, is, this is their favorite band. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kinski played first, um, and they're just loud, you yeah. know, and epic, and it was great. And then uh, we played... And we're not loud. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know, you know, that venue is a restaurant. Yeah, it's I went to. It's basically like dinner theater. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. Um, and it was the worst, very much the worst show I've ever played as far as like, um, like we would finish a song and not only no applause, not even like recognition and they had just been served at dinner and yeah. people were just eating so just the sound, sound of, of eating forks. like the sound of like silence and kind of like eating and not even like not even a single clap yeah um and i would like make a jo- try to make a joke about right that and like just no digging response. yourself yeah. and, and i think people and it was i also realized i was like i'm playing for a bunch of fucking asshole record store clerks yeah for one thing from all over the country who don't fucking like my band right like they probably wouldn't even really like shins and iron and wine but they they might be swept up in the they like excitement. the fall yeah they like the fall or something <laughs> it was just like it was not the band that they wanted to see right. they were so disappointed and hateful yeah <laughs> and uh and no one wanted to be like the one guy that clapped either. Right. It was basically it was like your worst nightmare. Yeah. Like the record store, Revenge the, of the nerds main too. record store clerks yeah. that were that hated you and like freaked you out when you were a kid. Oh god. Having to play to a room of them while they ate fusion Thai food. Yeah, I know. Um <laughs> I think it wasn't Ming Sai the chef there. I can't rem I don't know. But like so but that's not even close <laughs> to the best slash worst part of the story Go so for it. while that's happening um if you look um there are like backstage areas sort of like 
above mm-hmm. um, that are kind of like these almost like sky boxes or something. And in the backstage area, <laughs> I remember um, this story now. Jonathan and Megan uh, were um, they were doing some kind of like a like the postal service record had finally gone gold, right? And it was essentially like they were giving them their gold record. Yeah, and it, it can was be fully to visible to me in <laughs> while I was playing this horrible show, and it was essentially like all the big coalition of independent music stores right. people sure. doing a photo op right. with ben and jimmy from postal yeah. service and with jonathan and megan right and so and this is way funnier when i can do it in person but i always when i tell this story i do the pantomime <laughs> pantomime of them each uh you know going up and saying like and just them saying we did it yeah just giving thumbs up and like just people like, it's it's funnier it's it is actually like not as funny on the radio no it's but, pretty uh, funny i get it but but it, it was just essentially like me watching a cavalcade of people um right. like pose with this gold record of right. a record that it actually came out incidentally on the for the same day as right my first record on sub pop and while i played this cru- this soul crushing yeah humiliating um show and i remember being very bummed out by it but also thinking someday i'll be able to tell this i didn't know what a po- i was like i don't know what a podcast <laughs> is yet someday <laughs> there will be a medium called a podcast yeah and i'm gonna tell this anecdotal story about a humiliating moment that I had. Well, I think that's a good. I think that's a good good way to wrap it up. Then. I think so too. I think we've got, we've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Ah!